puts out shirts uh, pretty regularly, and uh. one of his shirts uh, just says sports. And he's like, the shirt you wear when your friends have invited you to watch the game and you don't care who wins, but you're glad to be there. Sports. <laughs> my love and my muse are two of a kind. What to do, what to do, what to do, my love, like my muse. Can't make up his mind What to do, what to do, what to do Crazy critters, so doggone arbitrary I get the jitters just talking to the prairie air On a river plain where four streams and five canyons converge onto the course of Idaho's South Fork lies a tiny mining town called Wallace. Named after founder and local farmer Colonel William R. Wallace, the settlement saw its beginning in 1884 when Colonel Wallace built a cabin at the site he called Placer Center. With the rise of silver mining, a flourishing community emerged around the small cabin, and soon the site became a regional center for the silver mining industry. By 1886, the town's population surpassed 500, offering new residents access to a variety of accommodations, including saloons, shops, apartments, and a school. With the addition of regular rail service two years later, the population continued to grow. However, troubles for this blossoming town were already brewing. Fire struck in 1890, destroying much of the town's infrastructure, and in 1892, mining violence resulted in explosives destroying a local mill and killing several people. The following year, just as the town was recovering, the price of silver collapsed, causing several mines to temporarily close. By 1899, tensions grew as mine owners tried to break the unions, causing workers to resort to even more violence. The struggle was far from over, though. Fire hit Wallace again in 1910 when the Big Burn, which ravaged much of Washington and northern Idaho, consumed nearly a third of the town's buildings and left more than 80 Wallace residents dead. And in 1913, the Great Flood unleashed a torrent of water on northern Idaho, inundating several towns and even washing a train from its tracks. After World War II, mining tapered off, leaving Wallace in its wake. With its population peaking in the 1940s with nearly 4,000 residents, each decade it has declined, with less than 800 living there today. Despite this decline, silver mining is still a substantial part of its economy, and Wallace is the only place on Earth where more than a billion ounces of silver have been mined in the span of 100 years, rightly earning the title Silver Capital of the World. Filled with mining history and nationally recognized historic buildings, the town of Wallace is an important link to the past of northern Idaho and inland northwest. I'm Hannah Mills, and I'm here with Henry Miller and... Nick Nolan! And this is Small Town America. Uh, We're so glad you're back! Yeah, buddy! (laughs) So we get to interview, and I love that this is... A thi- the Prime Minister of Hospitality and... Official greeter of historic Wallace, Rick Schaefer. Yes. Who is also the general manager of the Wallace Inn. And we're going to give him a call, and Henry's going to take this one on. Yep. And here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you for calling the Wallace Inn. This is Michelle. Let me help you. Hi, Michelle. Uh, my name is Henry, and I'm from a podcast that's interviewing Rick Schaefer today. Yeah. Hi. Did you, it, need, it, did you need him? Yeah. Is he available? No, I think he's in his office. Hold on one second. Okay. And we have our intro music. Yeah. <laughs> Good news. Rick, can help you. Hey, Rick. It's Henry from the podcast. 
Henry, what's happening? Not much. How's it going? Oh, good. Just uh, another day in paradise. Yeah. What's it? What's it like today? Is it? Is it cold? Is it snowy? Uh, we had about. Uh, I think we started at about eight degrees. Went up to about seventeen. Are you blue sky sunshine? But we got some clouds coming. It's supposed to be a little snowy precip coming in uh, this weekend. We hope. Yeah, it's like thirty-eight here, and we're we're really we're cold. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, you are the Prime Minister of Hospitality and Official Greeter of Historic Wallace. What what does that even mean? How did that happen? Where, where did this title come from? Well, even more easily said, it flows a little smoother. I'm yeah. the Prime, Prime Minister of Historic Wallace. Okay. You, oh. You've got the long title, but my title is you know, way easier. I'm also prime, I've appointed myself Prime Minister of of the North Idaho bike trails. We've got like uh, four <laughs> fantastic rail trails up here that is just bringing tons of business in, which makes us very happy. So you started off as the Prime Minister of Historic Wallace. Can you explain how this came to be, where, where the title came from? I understand you yeah, were a tour guide. So, uh, May of 1992, I had a friend of mine who I worked with in Yellowstone in 1979, and we stayed together in contact through the hospitality business for numerous years. Earlier in 92 and 91, I was in another small town. You made a road called New York City, Times Square. <laughs> That's and, right. Um, said, uh, he had just taken over a couple of operations here in Wallace, including this one at the Wallace Inn. And he said, hey, uh, what are you doing next summer, summer of 92? I go, well, I'm in New York City. I'm a hotel whore because I was a <laughs> contractor. So I just uh, brought in on a contract to do a six-month contract on Times Square. I go, and, you know, May, I'm done. He goes, well, you want to come out to uh, – Come out to this place called Historic Wallace for three months. I go, well, I, you know, he and I worked in Yellowstone, which is the same latitude. I go, heck, get out of New York City in the summertime? Geez, what a blessing. I go, the weather here was great. I said, sure, you know, they're going to feed me, fly me out, and give me a place to live. I go, wow, you know, put it on. So after two months of working here, I was doing projects and, you know, doing getting a lot done. And after two months, I went to, to our boss, and I said, you know, um, I said, Rick and I are getting a lot done. And I go, but, you know, we're not, you know, there's too much to do. We're not done yet after two months. We need more time. I'd like to stay on. And they go, well, you know, uh, we really like you to stay on. We're going to ask your friend to leave. <laughs> and uh, in my young age, whatever it was, I go, well, you know, uh, smartest thing I ever said was, you know, that, you know, jobs are hard, are easier to come by than friends. If you want to deal with him, fine, but I'm not going to grace you with an answer uh, because friendships are, are way too important. So they said, okay, so I got out of the meeting, ran, physically ran as fast as I could, uh, and told my friend Rick, I go, this is going down. He goes, you know, it's not really working out for me either. He said, you can have it. So that was uh, 25 years and eight months ago that uh, I landed in a wall. I was coming from another small town called New York City. Right. So when I got here, when I, I saw how much business dropped when they put the highway in and in 1981. Right. And I go, well, they need somebody here, something unique. I mean, it's a weird, great, eclectic town as it is, but you need to do something really different. And so that I, I appointed myself prime minister of hospitality and goodwill for, and I did that in 92. And then after 16 years, the city council finally gave me the charter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they broke down. I persevered that long that they gave up and just gave it to me. But I mean, you can ask Siri who the prime minister of historic walls is. It's me. <laughs> well, that, so it's, that's... I mean, it's, it's all because it just means, number one, you can be anything you want to be in Wallace, Idaho, and in Idaho, and it's just a great town. It just brings a smile to people's faces so they remember Wallace. Can, can you kind of 
give listeners a better idea of what exactly changed in the city after the bypass was installed? Back in 1890, the, the town burned, and the smart people back there said, let's rebuild out of brickstone and masonry because we want to be seen as a mining headquarters, not just a boom-and-bust town, right. but a mining headquarters. Okay, so, and then in 67, 1967, the feds came to town and said, hey, we're going to do you this big favor of building Interstate 90 smack dab through the middle of your town. You know, and that didn't make any of the locals happy. So they, uh, Uncle Sam went to tell somebody else the good news. And in the meantime, three people, Harry Magnuson, uh, Nancy Lee Hanson, and John, Mag- John Mag- McGee, John McGee, got together and he started in hit in 1967. Nobody cared about history. Who gives a rip? So they started putting building after building on the National Historic Register. Feds came back in a couple months with a bulldozer say, hey, we're ready to plow. The locals said, sorry, the rules have changed. We started a 17-year battle over where the highway went. And after 17 years of being the last stoplight on 990 between Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, we finally let them build the highway. That's right. And there was a, a famous stoplight, right? That was the, yeah, it was the last stoplight. Yeah, the one but... stoplight between Boston and Seattle on 990 <laughs> that all the cars used to get off on one end of town, weave through town five miles an hour, kids going, ice cream, ice cream, let's spend the night and then get back on the highway. You know, you know, it was you know crowded. I'm sure it stank from exhaust fumes. I'm sure people got run over all the time, but business was good. Right. But then when they opened the highway, of course, now they're going 65 instead of five. They so don't see Wallace. About, yeah. So business dropped about 23 percent when I studied it. So now my job as prime minister to help get people off the highway. And what exactly have you done to do that? Apart from take on an incredible name position. Well, I'm six foot eight, so I make a pretty good billboard. Yeah. <laughs> so, as there is, there's, so there, you know, every organization, every group is always looking for volunteers, and I have a way of always nodding my head or raising my hand. So I'm on the chamber, I'm on the uh, the regional group. I'm one of eight people that hands out over five million dollars in grant money to chamber of commerce and CVBs throughout the state. I used to be on stage at the local theater, anywhere I can go to go out there and make an impact and talk about Wallace what a great, unique town it is, I'm there. I also uh, understand that you do a bit of tour guiding around uh, Historic Wallace. Can you maybe give us a story that you find particularly interesting that you like to share? And let me tell you how, how this prime minister thing started officially. So I had, a, I had a tour bus down from the Okanagan in Canada, up in B.C., and they're leaving. So I get on the buses, and I give them the tour, and they spent the night and had a great time, gave them breakfast, do their luggage, get on, and I, you know, I say, you know, uh, you guys can't leave till I get off the bus, and I'm going to sing you a song. I don't <laughs> sing very well, but you can't leave till I'm done with the song. <laughs> so I sing them a song. It's not very good. I don't sing well. And then uh, I'm standing there. So, okay, I want you to go home and tell all your friends to uh, come back to Wallace and see the prime minister. And I kind of got a giggle in the back of the bus, and a light bulb went off in my head. It doesn't go off much anymore. And I said, wow, if I tell that story once, or as many times as I can, and one person comes to Wallace because of it, it's a victory. But uh, one, of the, one of the stories I think is most incredible about Wallace is back in 1899, we were in the midst of another union uh, labor war with the mines versus the uh, mine workers. Right. So there was, a, there was a planned insurrection. This guy named Eli Hutton, the train conductor, he was part of the insurrection. He was taking up the, one of the trains up to our sister city of Burke, on this very narrow canyon called Canyon Creek. And this, this canyon was very narrow. And up in Burke, there was a hotel that was, a, was on the Guinness Book of World Records. And it was there, this hotel was there, it had a river under it, two railroads through it, as well as a highway going through the hotel. 
<laughs> he, used, he used to have to close the shutters of the rooms of the hotel upstairs when the train came through a couple times a day. Is... So anyway, embers blew out in time and burned the hotel down. But I mean, this canyon is so <laughs> narrow, the dog's tails wag vertically, not horizontally. That's how narrow the canyon is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Eli Hutton's got train conductor. He takes, he's got the train. He's heading up to Burke. The insurrection is on. He, he hijacks the train, turns it around, coming down the walls, gets all his minor friends on board. Come on, we're going down to Kellogg, the next town, where the big smelter is. We're going to do some damage. They're barreling down the trail. They down in Osborne, four miles on the way to Kellogg. They hijack another train. Sounds like a pretty easy thing to do. They got two trains with eight hundred miners on the train. Wow! And they are they are full of you know what and vinegar. Yeah. They get yeah. down the get down to Kellogg. <laughs> they get off the train. The first thing they do is sorry. Go ahead. Shot of whiskey. Now they're really fired up. They come back, <laughs> unload this big pile of dynamite, and blow up the zinc concentrator plant. To smithereens, just giant building. Oh they get back on the train, come through the valley, see you tomorrow, Bob. See you tomorrow, Joe. Like nothing <laughs> ever happened. <laughs> next next okay. day, President McKinley declared martial law in the Silver Valley and put those 800 miners in outdoor stock paid, uh, stockades called bullpens. What a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's just how utterly how crazy it gets here. I mean, just the things that have happened here are just off, off the rocker. Yeah, I mean, we were doing when we were doing research, Wallace is the smallest town, I think. It's it's maybe the second smallest town that we've studied so far, and the amount of stories and history in that town, it's just it's unfathomable. I can't believe how much there was to look into. So, oh, yeah. what is there like is, is it maybe because Wallace, I mean, it was a mining headquarters, it was a crossroads of some kind? Is there, is there a reason why Wallace has so much history? Well, one of it, one of it is, 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 of course, uh, the silver lead zinc. I mean, it's, it's that independent miner spirit, and they just, they, you know, they'll, they'll fight among themselves. You say, you, you drop the word, and you know, they, they whack on each other. But when you go against all of them, don't even. I mean, it's like going against the, the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, don't want to do it because they're just that tight. It's amazing. I mean, the stories they tell about high school, and I mean, they, they stand, you know, we host reunions and stuff. I just stand there, and they tell stories, and it's like they relive it, and they tell them over and over, and that's how they remember it. I mean, they're so tight. It's just, you know, just incredible. I was going to ask, so you said that you did theater for a while. I've, I feel like that's been a, a consistency in the last couple of interviews we've done. What was your favorite role that you played? Well, the theater is in the oldest standing wood structure in the walls. As I mentioned, back in 1890, the whole town burned, except for Fred Kelly's paint and wallpaper store, which was also the Lux Bordello upstairs. I'm not sure what Fred did on his coffee breaks, but he always had a smile on his face. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, it's now a theater. Seats about 90 people, so it, and it's, it's just live. And we used to have a you know lady sit in the pit and played piano backup, just like the black and white movies. Yeah, it was just oh, wow. spectacular. Anyway, uh, one of the, I did this um, one play to just one other gentleman, and it was called The Mystery of Irma Vep. Mm-hmm. And I had 36 costume changes. Oh and playing both male and female characters. Oh <laughs> a beautiful red strapless and dress, you would have just died for it. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of them. Then the other one, we did, the last one I did was back in 05. Uh, we did the arsenic old lace, and I was the mad doctor. So that was that was way fun for my, my last time on stage. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. I just also love, you said you're six, what? How tall? Six, eight. Well, six, eight in the morning, then. With all the stress and pressure of life. <laughs> I 
six eight in a beautiful red dress it sounds oh, amazing. Oh yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> nice little that sandy blonde wig. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> it only fell off once. <laughs> I I don't I don't know if I have any more questions. Is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything else that people who are thinking about coming to Wallace or um, have heard about Wallace? What do they need to know? Well, I think the, the biggest key that people need to understand. Back when I got here, Wallace was kind of a dirty, rundown, not a very pretty town. Silver was at two twenty-three an ounce. Things weren't very good. The unemployment was in a thirteen percent. Uh, it wasn't pretty. Thankfully, we had some uh, local improvement district grants coming. We got in here. The, the streets were, were uh, seats were you know, uh, We did all redid all the sidewalks, storefronts. We had uh, Dante's Peak. The movie was filmed here in nineteen ninety-six. <laughs> yeah, I love um, it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just it's just a great movie. But those kind of things, you know, I came here in '92. Go, man, this place is just with the recreation and the history. This place is on a, the ten-year plan, and even now, 26 years later, it seems like it's on the ten-year plan still. But that being said, um, a few years ago, the big talk was kids, millennials, nobody's staying in rural Idaho, uh, rural towns. They're all going to urban Urbania. Everybody wants to rent. Nobody's buying cars. It's going to all the cities are growing, and little town America is dying. Well, I think that whole tide is changing. We've got a great uh, bevy of uh, young uh, people have come to town buying businesses, opening businesses. The cost of living is so low. Number two, the quality of living is so great. Uh, mm-hmm. With our bike trails, hunting, fishing, fresh air, uh, it's just it's an enclave. It's like hometown USA, just like in, you know, it's kind of a mix of Bedford Falls and Mayberry RFD, but modernized. Mm-hmm. And everybody just, everybody's here to, to make it work. It's a great place to be. You can still have high tech. You can still get on online. You can have all this stuff, but live in a great place where you're not, you know, not giving your whole salary to your mortgage. Yeah, that, that that's amazing. I, I think you've given us so many topics that I'm sure that we're going to talk about after this. It, I mean, it, it's a it was a really interesting place to look into. So th- uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Mr. Prime Minister. This was this was one of my favorite interviews so far. So I'm very grateful. So what, what happens now? Uh, well, we're we're gonna we're gonna stop talking, and then uh, we're just gonna have our own discussion and go through the history of the founding and uh, what the economy looks like, and all kinds of cultural things to do there. We're talking about um, the bike trails and uh, skiing nearby, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, one of the personal stories, you know, once uh, when people I was going into, they uh, people come in and uh, they come back, so I don't try to sing them the same song or tell yeah. them the same story, so. You want to hear about Wallace, or you want to hear? So I call them National Geographic stories because I'm not working. I spend a lot of time in the woods. I've chased like three bears on my bike. Well, um, you shouldn't be chasing pick, bears pick on up. bicycles. That is, that sounds incredibly dangerous. Uh, not so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that, again, thank you so much. We're, we're going to go now, but uh, this was enlightening. We really appreciate hey, it. Hey, well, take care. Where, so, where are you? Uh, where are you at? You out of California? No, we're out of Portland, Oregon. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, we're, oh, real, we're real close. Get your asses over here. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you've come uh, before before June and uh, mid-September, come on over. i got a room for you. All right. <laughs> awesome. I'll give you the real tour. Uh, okay. That'd be fantastic. All right. All right, all right. let me know. Great right. talking to you folks. Yeah, you too. Thanks again, Rick. You bet. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Help. He was no, he was amazing. He reminded me so much of my uh, and I, his name is Andy, but I call him Uncle Bobo. But just like 
very funny, very smart. His stories were really compelling and interesting. And yeah. And the, well, then when he was like, and then, he, and then when he was like, and I, I go, I'm out in the woods all the time and bears chase, like I chase bears on my bikes. I'm yeah, like, that was, I really want to chase a bear on a bicycle. Well, so welcome, welcome back, Nolan. Yeah. And you, I understand, prepped not at all for this episode. Despite... I, I, I did not. <laughs> so, but did you get any details from what Hannah just said about the town? Did Sil- you did, silver uh, mining? Sil- silver mining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's also mining. mining town. It's it's a tiny little town in Wallace, Idaho. Also, yes. the center of the universe, according to the mayor in two thousand and four. Yes. Well, what? What? That was pretty good. Yes. That was pretty good. But what I do want to point out is that they they have a thriving recreational economy. It um, really is. They have a ski resort nearby, which is called. Hold on, what's it called? Ski Town. It's, yes. <laughs> uh, no, it's called uh, the Lookout Pass Ski Area on Runt Mountain, which is and it's, on the border between Montana and Idaho. And That's, that sounds like a risky. Risky <laughs> mountain to go down. Yeah, well, it's the. It's look- called Lookout. Yeah, yeah, but it's also on Runt Mountain, which is kind of like next to Holy Shit Pass. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also it's near the route of Hiawatha. Yeah. What's interesting is that they so they have a it's it's growing and almost thriving uh, the, recreation. Yeah. Uh, ec- economy. It certainly looks like it. Their highest paying jobs are from mining, and mining actually makes up. 15.4% of the economy um, or of the industry. And, but the weirdest part, not weirdest, they, on, they only employ 39 people, the in, mining industry. In from Wallace. Wallace. Yeah. Okay. And that's second to food service. Yeah. Oh, which, really? Yeah. Which does not make, it doesn't even make the highest paying professions. They actually have a pretty low, you know, average income. Mm. And, but, Unlike other places, the cost of living is also much lower, though. But that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, so they're yeah their cost of living. Unlike other places that we've talked about, where where it's their average income is is low, and then their cost of living is really high. That's not the same here. Property, their median property value is one hundred and nine thousand, one hundred and ten thousand, and for the U.S., it's one hundred and seventy eight. And so it, it really, like, this is the first time I think we've done a town like this, except for Butte, where it's very obvious that the median income and the median property value are in congruence with each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's unlike Jackson Hole, where the average person living in Jackson, they they couldn't buy a home. Right. When, I, when we were looking into this, apart from the incredible, like, history, their recent history, the stuff that's happened in the last 20 years is also really dense and interesting. Yeah. So it, it seems like mining hasn't it hasn't really declined in the same way that it declined in Butte. They've still started turning towards recreational activity. Apart from the Trail to Hiawatha, and they also have the uh, Trail of the Coeur d'Alene, yes. which... Coeur d'Alene. Coeur Say again, I'm so Nolan? glad you're here. Re- resident <laughs> French person. Okay. Uh, but that cr- goes from the Montana border all the way to the Washington border. And it's 70 miles, which is fairly impressive. The town itself, it's got mining, but it's also moving into different, you know, recreational activities. The historic district, which is really beautiful. Let me just describe what it looks like. It, it's, yeah. it's like a classic, tiny 
American town that's in a valley. It's surrounded by trees, and it has Romanesque style buildings in its downtown, which have turrets on them. That's really cool. And it's all brick. And they built that to prevent another forest fire from just leveling the the community. Because so, it, I mean, they really had bad. to rebuild twice. Yeah, well, more than Two twice. Strikes. They because they had the flood, and yeah, and it was just thrice. Yeah, it's so, insane. Do you want me to tell you about Big Ed Pulaski? Okay. Yes. Do you know what the... Never mind. Go tell the story and then So I'll... in 1910, some say the largest forest fire in U.S. history, known as the Big Burn, ravaged uh, the northern part of Idaho. Uh, it destroyed about a third of Wallace. And one man, Big Ed Pulaski, rescued 38 people by le- leading them into a mine tunnel and then holding them at gunpoint so that they couldn't leave because he wanted to make sure that the fire had passed. Well, it was not only that, it was because they were his fire they were his crew. Oh, okay. So they wanted to go out and save like work on the fire and he's like, "No, don't do that." <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't know that part of the story. But uh interestingly, it's 45 minutes and he saved all but 5. Okay, so oh, that's crazy. Uh, another interesting thing about Big Ed Pulaski is that he invented the combined axe and hoe. Yes, which do you want to see what it looks like? Because it's a yes. very common tool. It is what it sounds like. It is. It's a combined axe and hoe. Well, the the I mean, the description of it is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's doing I, way I better than my combined rake and shovel. <laughs> that's that's a better tool. Yeah, I thought it would save a lot of lives. <laughs> <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever said. <laughs> I know it's not selling well. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so yeah, there were fires, so they built the entire downtown out of brick. But he's an, he's there's more about him. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep going. He was so he was raised in in Wallace, Idaho. He was a U.S. forest ranger based in Wallace, Idaho. He was not raised there, and he went west. And he worked as a miner and a railroad worker and a ranch foreman. And then he joined the Forest Service in 1908. He was credited with saving all the people or like all those people during the the big burn, also known as the Great Idaho Fire or the Great Fire of 1910 or the Big Blow Up. So there are a lot of terms for that. He was credited with the invention of the Pulaski tool. And now there is a peak southwest of wallace that's named for him awesome pulaski peak and that's, so, the, that's the like the hill almost in the background well there's a lot of hills because oh because one of them was made to look like a volcano in dante's peak peak yeah do you, yeah. Do you, do you ever seen that movie yes where it's pierce brosnan outrunning lava yep. and then a toxic lake and it's did you hear about like the fact that a bunch of the citizens were townspeople or like the townspeople yeah. were in the movie and they actually performed a lot of the stunts themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Amazing. Uh, he, uh, Rick Schaefer was one of them. He was, he was playing him, I think himself or it said principal actor, but when he gives people tours, so I saw the tour bus and I, there's a picture of him standing in front of it and he's wearing a top hat and a tuxedo. Is he as tall as the tour bus? Basically, the top hat makes him even taller. Yeah. I don't know, like, I just, I just can't believe that. Like, I mean, that's a pretty good choice of outfit, I guess. It, yeah. it certainly works for him. So we talked a bit about who it's named after, Colonel mm-hmm. Wallace. And yeah, he... could you find out Colonel of what? Yeah, I could. Wallace. <laughs> I, I really it's honestly... 
couldn't figure it out. I guess yeah. he had to have served at some point. Yeah, uh, some somebody. I, I, the question would be if he served in the Union or the, the for the South, and and when. But but um, he was really only described as a farmer. Yeah, a I, local farmer. There, there could be there could be a, a history of uh, Wallace residents taking on titles that maybe, maybe he's like Colonel Mustard, where his first name is Colonel. A Civil War veteran. <laughs> is that really? Was... No, I made that up. Oh, okay. Colonel Wallace uh, or Colonel Wallace was a Civil War veteran. So anyway, so so Colonel Colonel Wallace really doesn't he doesn't show up in the area until the 1880s, right? Right, and he was there. Because he basically found this area and recognized the opportunity for silver. For and lead. well, because well, he, he wasn't actually a miner; he yeah. was a farmer. But he recognized owning the land uh, would offer a lot of opportunities for wealth, just because of the mining that was nearby. And then he had to go through a bunch of stuff. Like he, so he purchased these scrip. And I yeah, he used a Sioux script, which is a Sioux half breed script in quotations. That's what it, it's called. It was a form of currency used by the Sioux Nation. The story is that after he p- paid for it, it was re- like announced that you couldn't use that to buy land. So there was a right. there was a question of um, if he had actually purchased the right to. to well, no, land. there was a whole there was a whole process of him, you know, going through the legal routes to make sure that he he owned the land which he ended up getting mm-hmm. uh, along with his buddy andrew j pritchard okay right it was andrew j pritchard yeah so they they end up owning the land and it it blew up really quickly like i think no pun intended <laughs> which it also did yeah they owned the land before they had it you know officially a bunch of people started moving to the area and turned that into a town. And then also very quickly it was destroyed mm. and then they rebuilt and then it was destroyed again and then they rebuilt and then there were mining quarrels. And then after I said it in the intro, after silver crashed um, after the, the world uh, after world war two, mm-hmm. then it just sort started declining as yeah. a town. And then that's when they were going to build a highway right through the middle of town. Yeah. And from 1970 to 1986. In 1956, the federal government authorized the interstate highway. Really? And that got underway. And then the city leaders in Wallace learned that for the plans for Highway 90, mm-hmm. it would it would wipe out all of downtown. So they well well but, it, but they did have highway uh, interstate ninety going through the town for a, a while right but they were going to expand on it yeah and, to and make it a, a larger highway and get rid of the stoplights which are the only reason why people were stopping in Wallace beforehand is because they you know had to slow down and see the business right and that was the nineteen seventy nine okay. event that that is integral to this entire story so the Federal Highway Administration went head-to-head with Harry Magnuson, who, who was a local business leader, and he f- sued the Federal Highway Administration for failing to file an environmental impact statement, and the, a federal judge backed him up, and the project was stopped. 
And the town rallied around that last stoplight, which was on 7th and Bank Streets. And yeah, the Rick said that it was the last stoplight between Seattle and Boston. And I'm pretty sure that's true. Kind of incredible. Eventually, what had to happen is they built a bypass and they moved I-90 uh, to the area of what used to be the Northern Pacific Railroad Depot, which is a historic building. So they had to move the depot. They got rid of the stoplight and uh, they gave it a funeral. So kind of amazing. It's the only stoplight I know that got a funeral in 1991 and it drew international media, <laughs> which for some reason Wallace is really good at doing. They've gotten international media several times in the last couple of decades. So Harry Megason things took a, a step further by getting the entire town on the National Register of Historic Places. And the original I-90 route has been renamed the Harry F. Magnuson Way. That is one fairly incredible story of a community preventing like what what should have been just a simple project in the minds of the federal government, like a community being like, no, don't don't mess up our town. Huh. So, Seven hundred people is stopping a project that stretches the length of the continent. Yeah, and it's it's uh, or width. As somebody who works <laughs> with people all the time and has them trying to halt things that wouldn't ruin anything, it would just put a stop sign in front of their house and they don't like looking at a stop sign or something this is real that's a real thing Mm. it's really cool to see somebody like this community taking charge and working against something that would actually ruin the entire community and not just ruin their personal experience in the community yeah yeah i thought that was i thought that was really cool so another you know the uh the center of the universe story yeah i have a little bit on that go on okay so i'll I'll just open it up with in 2004 the mayor ron garitone uh declared the town the center of the universe with a manhole a manhole with a manhole cover on bank and sixth street marking the exact point that's one block away from the the single stoplight that uh prevented that required uh the FHA to build a new bypass. Yeah. So the mayor was making a point against the EPA after the EPA included the town of Wallace in the Silver Valley Superfund site. The mayor... Should we explain what a Superfund site is again? Uh, Yeah, go for it. Okay, a Superfund site is is a, a very, very large version of a brownfield, which is a site that is... Not impossible to develop, but is very difficult to develop or redevelop because of pollution at the site. So uh, on a small scale, dry cleaners, places where dry cleaners or gas stations mm-hmm. or auto shops are are usually brownfields. Uh, because of the pollution that happens in the soil, you can't just build something on it without using some sort of remediation, preferably bioremediation, but that's a uh, growing Thing. Right. And we've, we've mentioned Superfund sites, especially in Butte, which is one of right. the largest, if not the largest Superfund site in the country. Um, it's a, a misleading lot... name. Actually, I don't think it's not. Superfund site? No, it's a Superfund. Fund. Yeah. Superfund. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the this is one of the things that's been a result of mining throughout the West is there have been lots of waste that was improperly disposed of natural things that just occur when you whenever you dig into the ground you're gonna make a mess and so the silver valley superfund site included wallace and the epa said that 
if something can't be disproven, it must be true. Or at least that's what Gar- uh, the mayor's take on the EPA, P- EPA's logic was. In retaliation, the mayor declared the town to be the center of the universe because no one could disprove that it was uh, the center of the universe. That's amazing. So that, that's the story behind that. And what he said, this is so typical of uh, the stories that we come across in, in Wallace, is uh, individuals having incredible senses of, of humor and ability to get people to listen. Uh, he said, I, Ron Garritone, mayor of Wallace, Idaho, and of all of its subjects, <laughs> and being of sound body and mind, do he- hereby solemnly declare and proclaim Wallace to be the center of the universe. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, um, anyway, so that's another moment uh, where uh, the community decided to ruffle some feathers on a federal administration. Can I talk a bit about Wonder some notable Wall. people? Though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do some notable people. So there are several, and I figured you would talk about some of them so yeah I didn't, go for it but i will just do the one that i researched which is lana turner so she was born in wallace or it's conflicting because it sounds like her parents her family moved there after her birth but doesn't matter because she spent her early childhood there and i'm sure most people know who she is she's a well-known actress and she was a pinup model cool. as well and she's beautiful like what is she acted in a lot of things but the one that i i recognize ones but i've not seen them the one that i have seen was dr jekyll and mr hyde she was in it with ingrid bergman so that's 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 big yeah her father owned a dry dry cleaning business okay there we go talking about brownfields (laughs) and also worked at the nearby silver mines and she was just sort of discovered very cool lady her her wikipedia page is Longer than most of the towns we cover. Uh, there's a lot of pretty big name films. Look at the here. ones that she was nominated for. Oh, Peyton Place, a nominated, nominated yeah, yeah. for uh, an Academy Award for Best Actress. Huh. Uh, Madam X, she won a Golden Plate. I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that either. And won some other awards for a 1974 movie, Persecution. Do you think when you get a Golden Plate, you uh, display it on your wall or you eat off of it and feel like a king? queen i you would you would you would let your dog eat off of it <laughs> you know i actually like that a lot better <laughs> <laughs> um okay so if you go into wallace right now you can go to you can visit the oasis room museum which used to be a brothel that somehow managed to stay open until 1988 i mean there are brothels <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was. I mean, it's just that it was an open. It was just an open brothel that was. I don't, okay, you're you're right. <laughs> so a brothel that managed to stay open until 1988, and women who worked there could make up to a hundred thousand dollars a year servicing forty customers a night. And in 1988. In in 1988. So there is a drawback, though. They had a 60-40 split with. Ginger, the manager. However, you still get $60,000 a year. Oasis was forced to close after Ginger somehow received a tip uh, that the FBI was planning a raid. So in a hurry to leave, everybody left their stuff behind, including lingerie, egg timers, and a closet full of red light bulbs. Uh, and now I this love is a... the egg timers. <laughs> you know what those were used for. Yeah, so they had like Cooking a little... eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and a closet full Dual of red purpose. light bulbs 
And now that's all part of the museum. So that's something you can go see. You can also go see the uh, museum at the old rail depot, which is a really beautiful, another Romanesque building. Uh, What else can we, can you do when you go there? I mean, they also have festivals. They have the blues festival Mm. and a couple other things. Don't visit the city website for that because it's not going to help you. It is. Okay. There, yeah, there wasn't even a website for the mayor that I could find. No, I, I'm sure that maybe somewhere on that 1997 Windows yeah, it was like, bad. website, there mm-hmm. was something about the mayor, but that's impossible to find. Yeah. So you want to hear about another festival that they have that's pretty cool? Yes. Yeah. So in 1903, Teddy Roosevelt stopped at the Wallace train station to make a speech, and the town celebrated a centenary of it in 2003. Oh. Little festival. It's kind of cool, right? That's awesome. I like that. And, yeah. Oh, I should probably continue a little bit more about the, the rail depot. You can also visit the Northern Pacific Railroad Depot Museum, which is open from April to October. And on Depot Day, they have a classic automobile show in May, which is the anniversary of them moving the depot out of the way of the bypass. Uh, anyway, what, 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 else, what else do we need to talk about? I have one last story to to talk about, but... I think it's a good point to say they're still producing silver. Yeah, they are, which which is, is a problem. I think it says something that they're a town of 780 or something. Yeah. They only employ 40-ish people. Yeah, 30, yeah, in mining. In mining. Yeah. And that's that's supposed to be a good, like, the oh, we're still mining. Yeah. I'm, no criticism here, aside from the fact that you can't deny it's a dying industry. I mean, it is a mining community in a sea of mining communities in northern Idaho, Montana, and uh, and in Washington, and Wyoming. and Wyoming. I mean, really, Utah. I'm, okay, okay. Now you're, okay. <laughs> let's just let's just go places. Wisconsin, so, Dakota, North Dakota, so South Dakota. One of the things that Montana. we've we've come across <laughs> that I do worry about is that all of these mining towns went through an era of powerful labor union organization. I'm, I'm worried that these towns will lose their income and they'll dry up if they they lose their their stuff and what they're left with in the case of Butte is just a whole bunch of toxic waste that they have to build around and we've talked about the challenges of converting a, a town's identity from being mining to being tourism it's not always that easy i mean i think i think a lot of the towns that we've talked about have already started converting it from one to the other. But the problem I think that we have translating that, that isn't, it's not ever going to be the same. Yeah. You look at it now and food service in like accommodation and food service has the most employees, healthcare, education. Yeah. Healthcare is like the biggest employer in most of the West and Midwest. It's it's actually one of the biggest employers in most places. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the difference between the actual income of those. And I understand why people get so frustrated about the idea of mining disappearing because as opposed, pays well. Yeah, as opposed to food service where you're getting somewhere around 
depending on where you are and what you're actually doing, $30,000 a year mm-hmm. at most. Mining is 51, 51.5,000 a year. Yeah. And that's a big deal. But you also have to recognize that that's a changing community. Mining is declining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks. Mining, yeah, mining is, it's a limited resource. Unlike humans who want something and you can provide that service to them, you can continue to provide that service to them. Mining is going to go away eventually. The limitations on the environment are going to step in your way. I I think, though, I mean, it it sounds like it's already, it's got to have diminished significantly from what it was. It it can't be, and it's a town that has so much clearly inherent silver for them to have been mining at this rate without it stopping. Yeah, it's Uh, pretty nuts. I think that they're probably in a better place than most of these other small towns because one, they have clearly a larger reserve based on just, yeah, this. it's uh, uh, the silver Valley. Yeah. At, uh, well, and, and with what, what that larger reserve for those 39 people affords yeah. is they will get to see these other towns deal with it. I think that's very accurate. What is different about this town than the towns we've covered before this is that they actually still have an economy that is, at least somewhat sustained by diversified or no sustained by mining mining. Mm. i'm not saying it's fully sustained but they can actually say that without mining they'd probably suffer yeah whereas a lot of these other communities mining's gone yeah in in the case of moab it seemed like it was almost completely irrelevant so i think that's what makes this different Mm. but you can also tell I mean, you look at those other communities, you look at their population. I'd never heard of Wallace, Idaho. Yeah. The other ones shrank and then they grew because people came there for skiing and other things and staying because they liked the town. With Wallace, it that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And because it's such a small population, they can accurately say a solid amount of their of their income, their Oh, I see what you mean. It's coming from mining. Yeah. But and it, that's not going to be the same for, like, they're not going to just, like, as if, if the population grows in the town, they're not going to just employ more of the population of Wallace in mining. Yeah. The, the population that's employed in mining is going to remain the same because mining is not a growing industry. What, what I find so fascinating and lovable about small towns is that they are a tight-knit community that can act really quickly and effectively to, you know, a- a- adapt and-, and work on new projects and-, and, you know, make it what they want it to be. Enact change. And Ena- yeah, enact change. And if you're dominate, if you go from being dominated by one industry that you actually got to establish labor unions in so that you have a little bit more protection to another industry where you're just kind of at the whim of whatever rich people want to do in your town. I, I, I can imagine that there's going to be a lot of resistance to that. Well, I also feel like we should point out that that's a benefit of having a town like Wallace or like Telluride or like Jackson Hole mm. or Jackson. We covered towns in Oregon. Yeah. Where it's just declining. Yeah. They Unless they figure out a way to get people into their town, which won't come from skiing. Yeah. It won't come from 
it, it won't come from mining. It won't come from. It'll come from bird watching, and that's a and that's right very seasonal thing. Yeah, which is it's awesome. You're talking about Burns in that case, right? Or was it John Day? Burns and John Day yeah. were both ones. Okay, um, that that leads us to my next. This is the next question. So he mentioned young people moving into Wallace, mm-hmm. starting businesses there. All three of us are millennials. Why would we move to Wallace, and why wouldn't we? Let's start with you, Nolan. Well, I, or a place like Wallace it doesn't have to be exactly Wallace. I, I, there's advantages and disadvantages, right? Like I just moved to LA about yeah. a, a couple, a month, two months ago. Yeah, God, to start a creative career in a, in a kind of saturated field. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the market is actively not okay for a PA position. Out of the four or five hundred applicants, a hundred of them had master's degrees, and eighty of them had a PhD. And, and so, so you're just you're you're not getting in unless you already know someone right. who's actively throwing you a bone. And a place like that, like like Wallace, I mean, you're afforded the ability to to just start. Yeah, your ability to just stay alive and and grow on your own at your own pace. So why? But you you just moved to L.A. Why? Which you wouldn't move to Wallace tomorrow. Why? I don't know. Why put it off? Well, there's not much of a film industry in Wallace. <laughs> uh, yeah. Until they get their next movie. Yeah. So that would be the issue. I, I feel like if I have, once I establish myself as a prominent screenwriter <laughs> in the auteur. industry, uh, as an auteur, yeah. uh, then I'd love to live somewhere like what Portland used to be or what it seems like Wallace aspires to because it's it's just so much more appealing, the the human interaction. The, yeah. There's there's just so much inherent beauty to those kinds of places. Yeah, and you're really just living in a desert where someone's mining for your creativity uh, right now. Uh, <laughs> Hannah, though, why, why, what would get you to move to a place like Wallace? Well, age. I that you, sounds okay. That sounds. Well, what do you, What do you mean by that? Like raising kids' age? No, I think before I moved to a place like Wallace. Or Astoria, mm-hmm. I would want to spend more time outside of that because yeah. I know moving into those places would make me, you know, feel like I could really accomplish things. I mean, you have all of the career skills that you would need. Like, you would be very useful in Wallace right now because of your public engagement or your, yeah, your public engagement skills. And that would be great. Yeah. But I'm not the place where I, because I'd want, like, if I were in a place like that, I would want to commit to that place. Yeah. I would want to commit to making that place better. I mean, after talking to Mayor Niehaus from Moab, that's one of those situations where, like, she committed to a place. She's mayor of that place. She has family there. She has a husband that writes poetry about that place. Wonderful poetry. That, that is some. That is a pretty strong bond to the the home, right? And eventually, I'm like, I wouldn't write that off as an opportunity one day, but I would really like to, you know, keep spreading my roots a bit. Yeah, new experiences maybe, and getting shut down by the realities of sh- sh- shitty big cities. <laughs> uh, not saying that big cities are yeah they can be shitty but i'm a big city girl so i can say that yeah. what well i guess you can call Portland mid-sized that city girl. <laughs> yeah all right average city northwest 
All right, I, I'm Swing Northwest girl. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm gonna go now because I, I feel like this is kind of this is kind of like the key of why we started doing this is to better understand. Like you and I both have a deep affection for Astoria, Oregon, and that has all of the stuff. I mean, like I've been there twice. Yeah, we've taken you there With at least. You, yeah, you know the biggest thing that would keep me from going to Wallace. I can do that right now. I can move wherever because my job allows me to, and because uh, <laughs> I I work from home. But then there's the other thing of like fear of commitment. But there's like yeah, it it is straight up fear of commitment. If I move to a place like Wallace, I'd want to get involved. Uh, but you'd want to do everything you can for that, and you yeah. wouldn't want to just like you know get get done something and scram yeah is it could be that we're just a little bit too young i mean it really would be like getting married is moving to a small town because you you're like i am getting all of these new in-laws in the in the form of new neighbors yeah i have all these new responsibilities because that they all know me and i can't just hide in my hole anymore and then the other thing i'd be worried about is like inflicting change onto a town that's doesn't need like a travel writer Uh, But but also, I I mean, I think that's one of the things that needs to happen. And that's kind of why I feel bad saying that I wouldn't move to one of these places now. Yeah. Is that I think there needs to be that inlet of both perspectives. We're getting so many small town people moving into big cities. The opposite needs to happen to, you know, make sure we're balanced. Yeah. And I I feel kind of shitty being like i'm not gonna do that until i really don't want to do anything else yeah i it, even though I, I there's something beautiful about it there's something really sentimental sounding about moving to a small town but it's just not i'm not there yet yeah i, I yeah i don't know we, we should probably end the conversation now because we're out of time but i, I just want to thank wallace and rick schaefer especially for making this a very interesting place to, to study and to understand, try to try to understand in a really enjoyable podcast. And yeah. thank you for being here, Nolan. Yeah, thank you. And for doing absolutely no... I contributed, goddammit. You okay. did. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to do a... Uh, oh, actually, before we go, I am going to read a poem or two. So this man is known as the Bard of Sherman Avenue. Uh, so Ugh. he's actually not from Wallace. I believe he's from Coeur d'Alene, which is nearby. Phew. But he's been published in local blogs, local publications. And he's a, he's a bit of a local legend. He was publishing rhymes and poems anonymously for 14 years before anyone found out who he was, before he announced himself. That was in 2016. And he apparently didn't t- want to tell anybody because he was worried that they would be disappointed that he's not someone important. He's just uh, he was just a retiree. He just was like, I, you know, I'm not a mayor or anything. There are people who were actually trying to figure out who he was in the different columns. Like, it could be the mayor of this town, or it could be this person. So he, he wrote one stanza that particularly stood out to me as a reflective of what it might be like to live in uh, northern Idaho. So it goes, Behold in Boise, the legislature, an odd creation of Mother Nature, Waving its arms and flapping its jaws, it mumbles and rants and passes strange laws. <laughs> Isn't that mumbles. amazing? I love that. Um, so when he revealed himself, he surprised even his own brother. Uh, oh, the man's the poet's name was Tom Wapker. So 
Tom Wapka revealed himself at a blog fest in 2016, and it even surprised his brother, David, who wrote a poem in response to the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is what it sounded like. There was an anonymous poet with talent and willing to show it. He didn't want fame, so it went without name, and even his brother didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. This is exactly what you would hope that uh, people oh do. In, yeah, in, uh, in northern I- Idaho. That's fantastic. Uh, love it. Anyway, so that's uh, yeah, that's the poet. So that's it for Wallace, Idaho. Thank you for listening to this episode of Small Town America. I'm Henry Miller. Amanda Mills. Nick Nolan. All right. <laughs> see you guys later.